Welcome to Making Waves, a show about sound art produced for WGXC Wave Farm by New Adventures in Sound Art. On today's show, we have a conversation with Michelle Macklem and Jess Shane. They're the producers of Constellations, a sound art and experimental narrative podcast program that unravels the distinctions between documentary, sound art, fiction, and music. Coming up on March 26, New Adventures in Sound Art will be presenting an online show featuring four artists from past Constellations shows. In this episode of Making Waves, we'll listen to two of those pieces, Pointing at Canopus by Arif Marbagi, and at the end, Nicole Pingon's Mystery Box Mix. Here is Michelle Macklem and Jess Shane of Constellations. Yeah, we love when new people kind of encounter sound and they're like, hmm, what's... What is sound art? We're like, yeah, I don't know, a variety of things, but it's cool. It's always cool to reach people kind of outside of that really particular kind of niche that sound art can fall into. Have you found that the Constellations show is is a vehicle for leading people down those paths and explorations? I think that we kind of started as something that was made by sound people for sound people who were looking for things that were kind of hard to find, you know, pieces that were sort of buried in places where they'd previously aired on aired broadcast style, or they were sort of buried in art archives. And we wanted to not only make some of these works accessible, more accessible to like a podcast audience or a contemporary sort of radio making narrative documentary audience, but also cultivate a space where people could make these things. Um, But as we've evolved and have tried to do things in different formats, I think that we have, you know, been able to create spaces where people encounter the work. Like, we did an exhibition in Toronto a couple years ago called Resonant Bodies at the Toronto Media Arts Centre. And, you know, that's a space that has a cafe in it and diff- all different sorts of events happen there. Like some t- one time there was a tech conference there, like shortly before our exhibition. And so it was a free open exhibition that people could wander into and engage with these sort of site-specific sound installations. And doing things like that are some of our favourites because they allow people to encounter sound work who may not have sought it out and sometimes people like several of the people that went were like i've never seen a sound exhibition before but this is so exciting and interesting um so i think yeah it really at various times the the project has been encounterable by different crowds i guess and what was the first inspiration the first encounter for the two of you that got you interested in this type of work that you've been following? Well, I had really listened to a lot of sound and radio art from pretty early on of when I started becoming more interested in, yeah, sound as a vehicle for art making and and art practice. Um, Jess and I are both pretty invested in documentary through sound. Um, But I think like there's something really amazing about all of the like more experimental side of whether it's documentary or um, sound art. So I was listening to stuff kind of, um, it was around the time that we had, we had both got jobs at CBC and I think we were both craving stuff that was less, uh, 
there's probably a better word for it, but maybe maybe less conventional. Um, so I was listening to shows like Soundproof, which was ABC RN's, uh, I guess it was weekly, hour-long sound show. Um, and there was stuff just going on in different countries, whether it was Europe or finding different kind of niches and avenues for encountering that art online. And I just found it so fascinating that sound was kind of used as this material for exploring the world differently. Um, whereas I think sometimes now radio or podcast making gets compared to like cinema quite a bit. I think I've always been so curious about how sound can kind of stand on its own and, and using this medium as the way forward for thinking. Um, Jess and I once wrote this article, for example, that was uh, called Sound is the Most Sound medium and I guess the, the title just being a, a point that like sound has a lot of advantages I mean the we talk about the intimacy the kind of emotionality of sound quite a bit I think across documentary making or podcast stuff but I think it's just such a however you choose to encounter it there's just there's just so much when you walk out into the world and are recording on a microphone or encountering the world differently when you, yeah, like deprioritize the visual and start to think about what sound can reveal about the world around us. I totally forgot about sound as the most sound medium. <laughs> I was thinking about it the other day. I was like, it's that both a like terrible a title and a great title. <laughs> yeah, because everyone's like, it's like a movie in your head and it's like, must it? Must it be a movie in your yeah. head? Yeah, <laughs> I just, I just, I, we, I hear that a lot, and I just fundamentally disagree with it. Um, and that's fine. It's, it's an exciting conversation to have. But like, people, movies are big productions that you know the ultimate audience is people sitting in an isolated movie theater. Whereas like a lot of the works we make, whether it be sit, like radio art, which is literally broadcast and kind of encountered, whether it's people in a car or listening at home, like the context is just so different. So the way that we encounter it, yeah, it just really informs, I think, some of the practices behind it. So I'm always just so curious um, about when we think about sound as its own Thing that's not trying to mimic another sense or another medium like what can we learn from it and maybe I'll just add one other thing to that which is that I feel like when I started getting into documentary uh, at least for me like I came from I just come out of like art school at U of T like I was in the fine art program and I, I was doing a lot of like my interest really revolved around video art and performance art and so I feel like I was really engaged in a lot of work that was not narrative or not linear um, and was sort of designed to either be durational or be challenging or be multi like able to be interpreted in multiple different ways or to be dense or to be academic and as I entered into the documentary space I felt like both Michelle and I as we were learning to make this sort of more linear narrative content we were also like well where is the stuff that exists outside of this. And so I think both of us in our own ways were sort of looking for work that was outside of this three-act structure narrative convention. And I know for me, one of the early places that I was looking at was on the Wave Farm archive, um, people talking about the sort of the history of sound art on the Ubu web um, archive and like listening to, you know, sound pieces that different artists who didn't really necessarily work in sound, but had just made pieces and sound and I was like oh this is a different way of telling stories or maybe 
t telling non-stories that are still valuable. And so we, Michelle and I, were like, well, how can we make a space that prioritizes these other types of work? And then it just sort of was a vehicle for us learning more about this world, both history and, you know, who's doing it right now. And I guess with the internet, I suppose, and not having any... Uh public radio, I guess, attachment to it, that it allowed that freedom to seek out what exactly you wanted to, to broadcast. Where is one place that people could go to and listen to stuff? Because I think, yeah, I think there's a new generation of audio makers who are hungry for stuff that's outside of the three-act structure and want to hear more experimental work. So we were like, let's create a space for that where people can go and just go to this podcast feed and just be able to listen to short works. Um, so that was really the impetus behind starting the podcast. And there wasn't really any we knew that it wasn't going to work for a public radio space i think just like the challenge of getting people like i think i think with jess and i both working at cdc and in our jobs encountering this idea of like audience and having listenership and the numbers and the stats like i'm just really not interested in that conversation for the space that we we're creating like Ultimately, the thing with Constellations is great if people listen, but like if one person, one listener has like a relationship with the sounds and is like, whether it's inspired or just sees the world a bit differently, like that's fantastic. And I, I don't, I, I don't want to create a space that's necessarily like needs to be popular, needs money to run. Like it just, it just, uh, once those conversations start happening, we kind of get trapped in the old uh yeah maybe cycle of production and capitalism that both of us are would love to have a space to avoid that because i think the reality of our daily lives is we need to live and make money so we can't we can't make constellations our full-time gig but we can make it this like beautiful precious space where it doesn't have to fall within the lines of like needing to do something beyond what its purpose originally was set out to do and also our purpose has kind of evolved and crystallized. Mm. But when we started, we were like, oh, we want to create a space for failure in some ways. We were like, we want to create stuff that's like unfinished. We want to create a mentorship space where people can try things where they don't know if they will work. And we sort of have an editorial policy when we work with people that like we will give editorial feedback and, you know, be in deep conversation with people about the work. But ultimately, you know, we decided that this is a place for artists' work and artists' sort of prerogative. So as long as it's not, you know, inappropriate, um, we let our artists have the final say about their work. And that was a fundamentally different way of operating than the CBC space where we were having editors saying, like, well, you have to make this more click clickable or you have to make this more satisfying as a conclusion or, like, this is unclear, you know, which has all sorts of power dynamics inlaid in it. We've definitely had some things that have gone on the airwaves, like a lot of the pieces we've made have then gone on to air, you know, on different radio shows at different times. But usually it's like someone will reach out to us and be like, let's do Constellations. We'll be like, why don't you hit up that artist and then they can you can put their piece on on the show. So that's happened. And that's been really exciting because we love transmission arts as a ethos, you know, and radio as an ethos. That's something that we're really into but we thought the podcast feed was a more accessible space for a lot of new makers to get engaged with this type of work 
I was thinking that that uh, of just of maybe the types of artists that you have um, brought into the show, and uh, some of them are people that I've heard of in other contexts, and others I encountered for the first time. And it seems in reading their biographies, it seems that some of them are also new to radio or sound, uh, experimental sound as well. So I was just interested to know more about you know the types of people that you have brought together over the years now that that the show has been running. Yeah, it's really been an eclectic mix of folks. Um, I think primarily for the reason that we didn't want to get stuck in this tract of, and I think sometimes this did happen in the beginning, of asking producers or having producers who are kind of more in our world, which again is like the narrative documentary podcast people world who are like oh I want to make something that's more experimental for the first time and constellations is the way of doing that and while that's like totally fine we just didn't want all of the works to be that way and I think um one of the artists that um we're going to be speaking to in a few weeks or speaking with um Arif Murbaji just like he's an incredible musician who hasn't really worked a ton in in the narrative space like his his work has narrative like inherently built into it but more of like using I think like voice in a more narrative way and hasn't really worked in the podcast space before um I think that was really exciting for us to work with somebody who had so much experience in sound but less experience in narrative and so it was yeah, kind of bringing these variety of people together from different backgrounds and experience levels with sound. Someone more emerging we've worked with, like Nicole Pingon, who did a really amazing Mystery Box episode for us. Nicole's done a lot of work with sound design and theater, but not necessarily a ton for the podcast space. So we're really excited to work with her because she has that, like, wonderful imagination and beautiful way of articulating ideas um and like yeah just how she thinks about the sound through how she thinks about the world through listening and through sound through her work so I think that that kind of that place still feels like there's a bit of a gap for a lot of makers who are interested in more experimental sound where there isn't necessarily like a place for these works to really live beyond people releasing it on their own still. And we want to work with people who, it's not necessarily about like getting better or necessarily like a narrative breaker that exists in the same way that it does in maybe more conventional or commercialized podcast spaces, but they're just curious about sound and we want to have conversations with people about how they think about it and how they conceive of listening and their art practice. And I think that's like the fundamental underlying thing that if people have that motivation and that curiosity and they come to us with an idea or some kind of thread of something, then we want to work with them. Um, and it still feels like there is this like lack of space for emerging artists and makers who want to work in sound to, to really have places for their work. And I'm, I see them popping up and I'm sure that they will. Um, I think it's just always been hard with sound as a medium. It, it's, um, can be a challenging, um, 
a challenging mode to explain because we live in such a visually dominant culture that I think it's like taken, you know, years, as I'm sure you've experienced, Darren, for like grant agencies to understand what the heck these projects are about. And so there's always some like lack of literacy around a lot of these projects um, that we're hoping to in our very small way through constellations just to create some shifts and change about. So yeah, that's always been a big part of our motivation with working with new folks is just encouraging that curiosity and um, a space to talk really openly and critically about listening and sound. Have there been ways that the artists that you've worked with challenged your listening and your approaches to the work you've done in the past? Oh, that's such a great question. Um, yeah, I feel like different artists have given me different learnings, uh, both on the editorial front and on the listening front. Um, I think that just on a sort of pedagogical kind of level, I think that this process has been really interesting because at least for me, I started, we started working on Constellations when I was right at the beginning of my sort of explorations in sound. And so, you know, I feel like I had taste, but as my taste was growing, my knowledge was growing. And from the beginning, I was trying to sort of trust artists and work with them. Um, but also learning, learning, listening and learning from people as I was working with them in an editorial capacity. And I feel like I learned better how to help people get clarity about what they wanted to say. I remember the very first piece that I suggested that we put on Constellations was this piece that I'd heard while I was doing an apprenticeship at Bread and Puppet Theatre, like years before, and somebody that was in the theatre company there had just been recording field recordings at Bread and Puppet at this like radical puppet theatre in Vermont and played a bunch of her field recordings. And I was like, I don't know what's going on here, but it's really cool. And so she wasn't a radio producer. That's uh, Alexandra Bragoshevska. And I reached out to her and was like, can we put something like this on the show. And I think that I was drawn to it because I was drawn to what she was talking about, which was these ideas of making things, like thing, work that was in prog process and failure. And the content was really interesting to me. And I felt like this sort of unpolished way in which the audio was presented in this work in progress state was actually really interesting. And so I was drawn to that. And so I worked with her to pick a short extract of that piece to put on the show. And it was okay that it wasn't polished. Um, but I think that, you know, as my tastes have progressed, I've moved away more from feeling like I need to be interested in the content, you know, to feel like the work is interesting. I remember, you know, being really, uh, like learning a lot when thinking about, um, I don't know, like even John Hill's piece, I feel like that piece really revolves around, uh, John's, uh, you know, worldview and, holding of knowledge and the way that the listener has to be with it is you know like as a as a settler you know I feel like I listen to this and I am just I'm just I feel like I I have to listen just sit sit back and listen yeah I feel like there's like a somatic relationship to the sound where you need to sit back and like let the experience not tell you something you know particularly content wise but you have to just be with it and and maybe listen to it multiple times in order to continue taking from it. And even the way John explains the piece, they talk about how it's sort of an offering to generations past and future. 
and it's something that you are supposed to listen to over and over again. So um, I think just in working on constellations over the years, I have been exposed to different frameworks for how I should listen to these works, both as a uh, you know audience for these works and as a creative that's interested in you know making my own works and learning more about these works like just the editorial process the pedagogical process I I guess of working with people has felt like really aligned with my own artistic learning and growth personally I think something that I get stuck on now and I just want to say I agree with everything that Jess has said in terms of like pedagogical and editorial there's been a lot of big shifts for me and I think part of that is also like letting go of like at once getting to let go of those kind of rote three-act structures way of editing someone's work Um, and when I say editing I mean like being you know like an editor like a line kind of editor or um, yeah like more of a, a writing editor rather than editing the audio but providing notes and feedback. Um, And I think that there's something that I love about just being in dialogue with these artists. And for me, it's like the relationship of being an editor or again, like that person that is the close reader of the work or the close listener of the work and who's in dialogue with the artist. Like that's a really, really valuable, important relationship. Like to me, when I've worked with artists on their pieces, I have been like the, I feel like I'm probably the person that listens to the work the most and and thinks through it the most. And maybe there's people, hopefully the listeners beyond myself who, who also do that. But like to be in conversation with an artist about their work is like, it's a great honor. And I love that. And every single time I'm doing that work, I learn so much. Like getting to work with um, Araf, because Jess and I both worked with Araf on his piece, um, The Tortoise Carries Its House on Its Back. Um, I think just from a, there was so much going on, like Araf doing these beautiful field recordings, the musical elements, the the fable and story brought into it. Um, Like not only did I learn a lot about, yeah, living in Iran and, you know, how Farsi is a language communicates differently than English and like the places of beauty of things that can be described through language that are lost in the act of translation. I think that's a really interesting space. So like that's an example, one example, like also in Sophia Steinhardt, Evoy's work, I don't think it's my place. Sophia's like perspective of bringing somebody in who's not necessarily a friend but like an interviewee who we kind of feel suspicious or suspect of um and maybe there's a really i found as a listener kind of like a difficulty to listen to um the interview subject there's there's some kind of tension we feel there and i think in that way exploring an interview that's not like narrated or there isn't like a structure or necessarily a purpose or an outcome to hearing someone's perspective on climate change and them not wanting to take personal responsibility or like in this case the person works in oil and gas and like just doesn't really think about it in that kind of personal responsibility way like I think there's something really interesting about just airing parts of that conversation without going in and being like well, now we need to give it the context and like the history and and all of that. Like that's not the work of the piece. And it, it just, 
like every single time I think there's the conversation I have with the artist and then my, and that dialogue and then like an internal dialogue an internal understanding of what listening in this way without like a prescribed outcome is um and I think I yeah it's just like it's an immense amount of learning every time like every piece is a bit different in that way and I I really that's like one of the things I value the most about get the work that we get to do through constellations what you were just saying Michelle makes me really think about at least for for me but it sounds like for you too the way we've been learning to listen as I don't know call us editors call us like dialoguers you call us you know is really similar at least for me is to how I've learned to expand my palette for just listening to mm-hmm. sound work generally like I think as an editor you know I've learned to try to get out of my own way and I think as a listener I've also been learning to get out of my own way and to withhold my judgment and to try to get in touch with different like for example somatic ways of listening like I remember um Rut Meat did a piece for mm. us um that you know I found really challenging and that was really that's really good yeah just this parallel development of how to listen as an editor and how to listen as audience it's those things are in conversation I think in such beautiful and generative ways and then that in turn translates into I think both of both of our own work because both of us also make work جان بیداری یه کاری باید داشتم عزیزم
tortoise, you know, carries his house on his back. No matter how hard he tries, he cannot leave home. امروز فکر نکنم بهتون برسم امروز من دیروز کارم تموم شد دیشب بیافشو نهیده بودم فدای تو خوشگل بلا ببین امروز تا قبل ساعت هفت اگه قرار شد بمونه اینا مثلا ساعت چندونم اگرم نکه دیگه یادم نمیاد چی بود به نظرم هم بهتره به من گفته بودن یه دونه آنگ قدیمی بود که ماشین میادم منزله روزی روزگاری دو تا مرغابی و یه لاک پشت توی یه برگه با هم زندگی میکردم اتورتس ان تو داکس این هارمونی توگیدر رفته رفته خوشک می شد و مرغابی ها به فکر این شدن که از اونجا برن من طاقت دوری شما رو ندارم آقای شما بخواییم بریم یه جای دیگه یه راهی پیدا کنیم منم بخواییتون ببریم Find a way to take me یکیشون میره یه چوب برمیداره میاره میگه
Kare. میخواستم بپرسم It seems to be that you're you're taking elements from public radio of the idea of the uh, editor or producer working with in conjunction with the you know content provider, the artist in this case, and you are working with that framework even though it's this uh, constellations exists outside of the public radio. Is that a, a kind of a home base for you in in, in approaching uh, the task that you that you do with constellations? I think initially because working in public radio and probably more specifically, like we both worked in podcasts and whether you want to have the conversation of like our podcast radio, like is radio podcasting on the internet? Like I just don't really care about that conversation anymore, to be honest. (laughs) Um, But like the conventions of working in radio at CBC for sure were... um, foundational in our like first understandings of working in these environments and there was definitely bleed over into constellations in terms of like this idea of having an editor but I also want to be really clear that constellations was also like it was a big space for me to push back against the things that I was feeling I I really disliked about working in public radio that there wasn't necessarily a space 
to work with editors who yeah got to be in dialogue with you like I think there's a big difference between someone striking out what you've written in a script or how you've structured something and being like this doesn't work and having an actual conversation with a person about what you're trying to communicate through the work and what the ultimate like questions you're asking are and I mean, look, we all work with really different people across our jobs and our lives, and it, it doesn't necessarily mean that Constellations is perfect, but I think that there was something about the generosity of time spent together in dialogue about the works that I just didn't feel like actually translated or happened as much as I wanted it to in public radio. It was very much output-based. It was very much about putting out a product and that product was content. And I guess with Constellations increasingly, um, I think this year as we do a lot of conversations about what's next for the project, like I care less about ob objectives and content. Like I care less about the polished thing being quote unquote good at the end of the process, because to me that's like, like, you know, again, we're not responsible to any kind of stakeholders or audience in that way. Um, and ultimately what I care about is the curiosity around sound um, and building relationships with the world differently through the perspective of sound. And I guess in public radio, I just found it kind of mind-blowing coming in. And because my experience is, is different than Jess's because I had worked in um, community and campus radio since I was I started volunteering when I was 19 so I'd been like pretty active in radio making and sound stuff from kind of like you know my early 20s for sure um, but I found it kind of mind-blowing to come into public radio and like people actually didn't really care that much about sound sometimes or at least sound was like an afterthought um, and I found yeah, I found that disappointing that here we are working in this medium and it, either, either it's, again, trying to mimic other mediums that already exist or it's like we're treating it kind of like an article that's in print, but it is somehow just like in sound. Um, so, yeah, I think it, I think for me at its best, Constellations, especially in those more early days when we started working on our editorial process was like borrowing the aspects from public radio and that relationship of the editor producer, um, borrowing that con the conventions of that, but repurposing them in a way that allowed for a more generous, expansive and critical conversation around the work that, yeah, for me was like, it feels like it's really missing like that time spent um, where the objective isn't to come up with a fully formed, fleshed, out perfect product the objective or the space is really meant for questioning curiosity seeing the world differently like how do we hone the idea more with the artist in terms of allowing them some or giving them some space to have feedback around how to um implement their vision more clearly or their like kind of sonic perspective more clearly I think that what drew both Michelle and I to public radio is this idea of accessibility and this idea that, uh, you know, we can make stories and sound stories and, and we love public radio because random people can encounter it and maybe be, you know, I don't know, changed is too strong of a word, but, you know, be impacted by it in some way. But we felt like in the space of CBC, there was sort of 
whether like it or not an emphasis on pleasing a certain stock audience or a certain level of clicks or in, you know metrics of engagement and so we were like is there a sort of a more art space that still abides by the like less elitist academic framework of the art world like you know the way that we're talking about working with these artists is more akin to like an art crit or something or like an academic discussion but we also want the work to be we want to challenge like have an audience that is challenged like we don't want to be afraid of that we want to be able to try things and not be limited by the fact that we're supposed to be talking to like joe schmo in alberta which is like often the metric that is edited against when you're working on a public broadcasting feature someone's like well will like you know aunt aunt sheila you know understand this and it's like well who are we considering is our main audience and what politic and what level of education and i think that what we wanted to create was some kind of hybrid where we could have the sort of rigor and exploration and curiosity of maybe like a more art academic experimental space but still you know have it exist alongside things that I don't know, are more, are more accessible and more straightforward. In terms of looking forwards, where, where is uh, Constellations headed now? I think just, if anything, as like challenging as the last couple of years have been, I think what it has been a time for a lot of people was to take a step back and say, like, what, what is actual sustainability look like in how we live our lives? So that said, we're kind of in this this um, period of uncertainty, but in a positive way. It's not like a period of uncertainty where the project's gonna end at the end of it. But I think it's understanding like, what does Constellations do well? What do we wanna do going forward? And like, what kind of time can we commit to the project? And I think with the mystery box anyways, it's been a really good learning opportunity for us to do something that's really low stakes. Um, so the mystery box is a project where we've solicited field recordings and different sound recordings from people kind of based around the theme of just like sounds that you encounter that you kind of had to be there to record it. So, you know, those moments where you've like, just going for a walk and hear something interesting and just like record it really quickly on your phone. So it's it's kind of in opposition to the like, you know, beautifully um, thought out, well-conceived field recording experiences and more just like a really off the cuff kind of recording. Um, so we've solicited those kinds of recordings and then we've given them to different producers um, and artists and mixers who like take those um, different recordings and kind of compose or create something from them. So we've had some really fun results because we've, you know, we've had field recordings of like, um, you know, conversations on the phone, phone lines cutting out, um, like people going for a walk outside and encountering something. Um, yeah, it's been a real eye-opening thing because for me, you know, we've still tried to like kind of keep to a schedule with this project. And I will just say it's been really challenging to have this like multi-month schedule where I'm like still coordinating a lot with producers and artists and our mixers. Um, 
So it's it's a I guess it's like a bit of a litmus test of like okay what's actual actually possible, but I, the upside of it is that we can take time to reflect and be like okay well the, here's the parts of the mystery box that have worked and that's been getting to work with like really wonderful creative minds who have been making amazing sounds from sa- other amazing sounds like it's just been a really cool to hear people construct these like beautiful little montages or different articulations of sound through the field recordings we've given them. So I think going forward and in the what's next for us conversation, it's really about like being quite selective with the projects that we choose to take on. Um, And in that way, I think with both how Jess and I work across our other jobs and projects, which are very like contract based, we can kind of slide and fit things together more. yeah, and that's my hope is just to be really kind of directed with what we take on, um, which unfortunately does kind of mean that we're less able to do the work we initially were around like, you know, taking on working with a lot of emerging producers and kind of taking pitches. But it doesn't mean necessarily that that's not going to happen. I think it's just being a lot more intentional with our time. Um and, I'm, you know, it, it has also meant like saying no to certain things that have been cool opportunities that have come up. But I think in all of that, it's like as much as I love sound and working with it, like it's really important to have a life um, that isn't constantly working. Um, and I think that can be challenging for both Jess and I, people who really love the work to remember that, um, yeah, getting away from your desk and going outside without the intention of recording and just kind of being in the world is really important. Michelle had this amazing brainchild of the mystery box of like, what if we created this project that is really based around play, you know, making recordings, crowdsourcing recordings and having different people uh, mix them together into these mini pieces. Like the idea was that that would be in some ways like, like less labor intensive, but still have the sort of ethos of trying things and and having a deep engagement with sound. But at the same time, like coordinating that is a huge job. And so it's like Constellations is just going to shift so that it is a project that takes on smaller projects based on what we have capacity for and what Mm -hmm. opportunities arise. Mm -hmm. Uh, What's available so far in terms of the mystery box projects? Well, the thing with the mystery box is we purposefully also wanted to create this thing where there's only ever one mystery box and it kind of disappears and comes back when we have new works. Um, The point of that being a little cheeky because um, as much as we've kind of promoted Constellations as as an ephemeral project, like it really hasn't been because the works exist online in this, you know, static kind of storage space. Um, but with Mystery Box, yeah, we take down episodes, we put new ones up, and it all kind of exists within this container that's called the Mystery Box um, on our podcast, like kind of page or feed in your podcast app. So you can go on and listen to it anytime. Like it's always it's always up, and the producers or the artists making the work will shift um, over time depending on when we get new our new submissions in. So yeah, and you can go to our website and we have all the raw recordings that people have submitted there. Um, it should just be constellationsounds.org um, slash mystery dash box. That's kind of the idea with the project. 
to take on that ethos that the transmission arts have really inspired, which is that there is a particular window of time you can encounter a work in. And with podcasts, it's just really funny that these like things will just exist online forever. I mean, they do get taken ta- down over the years for sure, but um, we wanted to create um, a space through the mystery box that played with that a little bit. And like, it's no, we're not trying to make people anxious or like, you need to listen to this right now. It's more just like, sometimes things just leave and disappear and letting go of that um, and not having things exist totally online is also fine. Just in case it wasn't clear, because maybe it is already, but like the way the mystery box is accessed is like on our podcast feed. We usually have one episode that you can download for each piece, each piece or each episode that is aired on Constellations. But the mystery box is one episode. You know, it's one episode. It's always there. But if you download the episode at different times, what is in the mystery box episode will be different. So each time a new mixer takes all the recordings past plus the new ones you'll get a new mystery box. Can you stop making sound for a second? Hold on, um... You are, you said you were ready. She's so awesome. Constellations mystery box. Today, a box mixed by Nicole Pingon.
If you would like to request a callback, dial 2. Si vous souhaitez qu'un agent vous rappelle, faites-le 2. Brian, it's Sean Ray and Chico. I'm extremely frustrated. You do not respond to what I send to you. I don't know what to do with this flipping check I have now. I have not received a check from March yet and don't know what's going on. Will you please respond to me either via email or phone? Say, thank you. This mystery box has been mixed by Nicole Pingon. It's composed from sounds recorded by This Wafter, Jess Shane, Neil Sandel, Dennis Funk, Jesse Lawson, Anna Carla, Christina Maras, and Michelle Macklem. To hear these sounds in their entirety, visit the mystery box on our website, constellationsounds.org/mystery-box. Constellations is a community of listeners investigating the world through sound. The mix engineer is MM. The graphics are designed by JS. Want to contribute to the next mystery box? Visit constellationsounds.org slash mystery dash box slash contribute. This mystery box will, non-violently, self-destruct in 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 1, 1. Mystery box is scary. Constellations. The mystery box, a container for expansion. That was Nicole Pingon's mix for the mystery box, a series of programs produced by Constellations. In today's show, we listened to a discussion with the producers of those programs, Michelle Macklem and Jess Shane. And earlier in the show, we listened to Pointing at Cannabis by Arif Marbagi. This has been Making Waves, and thanks for listening.